this small child, this tiny, fragile life, carries with it the hope of all humanity. This small voice, now crying out in dark chambers, will one day still the raging sea, will call forth the dead to rise and live. This voice will declare it is finished and shatter the grip of sin. These small hands, now grasping for comfort, will one day restore sight to the blind, will break bread and feed the multitudes. These hands will feel the piercing cold of an iron spike and bring salvation through surrender. These small feet, now wrapped in cloth, will one day travel countless miles upon dusty roads, will stand firm upon rushing water. These feet will crush the snake's head and step forth from an empty tomb victorious. This small child, this wondrous, perfect gift, is Jesus, our Savior, the promise of eternity. Good morning, Grace. Well, if you get to listen to that voice all the time, man, I could be snoozing really well. <laughs> well, I hope you had a great Christmas. You have 364 days or so to prepare for the next one, all right? And uh, aren't we thankful that um, our Lord has come? A uh, lot to be thankful for. I wanted to read some scripture today. We'll be dealing with some of this in First Peter today, but... I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read uh, several verses, so I'm going to ask you to be patient uh, this morning with me as we read uh, the Word of God. Chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 21. And so I'm going to ask that you to stand. The author, Peter, begins with hope, and in this section, he ends it with hope. It's nice to have hope, is it not, in Christ? And you got to remember the context. He's writing to some believers who are scattered all over Asia Minor, and they're suffering for the sake of the gospel. But he addresses them in terms of not only the, the blessed hope they have and the salvation they have, but I find it interesting, and we'll deal with it in a little while, how he really focuses in on their walk. And um, that really is key, isn't it? It's a key component to getting through the suffering and the trials and tribulations. And with that said, um, it's good to see Scott Briggs back there today. Praise the Lord. 
All right, we're thankful you're here, brother. All right, let's read together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, because of this great hope, this great salvation, right, that's coming, being saved from all the, the trials and the tribulation, we're going to be saved to the presence of the Lord. That's what he's telling these believers. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. He starts talking about now. <laughs> he says, keep sober in spirit, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as, as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You could just read that and go home. There's a lot to consider there. I pray that it's encouraging to you. Let's uh, pray together.
or I don't know um, all the things these guys were going through when this letter was written to them, but how encouraging it must have been for them to know that one day they would be saved from the presence of sin. Lord, one day we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. We're going to be in your presence. And your word tells us we're going to be with you forever. That when you come for us, Lord, that never we will never be out of your presence. That's just amazing to think about. It's amazing to think, first of all, that we'll be in your presence. <laughs> and that's only by grace. It's nothing we've earned. Lord, we pray for those people in our world that, that believe somehow they earned their way to you. Lord, I just pray that um, during this season, as we think about your birth, as we think about just your life and your purpose in coming and dying on the cross for our sins and your resurrection and your ascension, Lord, we just can't help but be thankful people. Because we may not go through the trials like these guys faced, and we don't, but, but we have trials. We have things in our lives that are hurtful, and a lot of times the things that are hurtful take us away from um, the most important thing, which is kind of hard to think about, but it's true. So as we go through these hard things in life, I pray that you're already at the center of our life and that when we have these times of trials and tribulations, that, that Lord, we'll just um, cling to you, but that when things are going well, that we'll still cling to you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for our time together this morning. I pray that by your spirit, you would be honored in all that's said and done. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, guys. Great to see everybody this morning. It's been a great Christmas for our family. And I pray that it's been that way for you guys. And, you know, in celebrating Jesus, we just want to continue that today. I pray that our hearts are full, right? We're ready to, ready to worship the Lord this morning. So... I know he just sat you, but I'm going to stand you right back up. <laughs> so let's stand, and uh, let's just spend a quiet moment. Uh, I'm going to put some scripture up on the screen while I play, and just kind of prepare our hearts for worship and worship the Lord together this morning. I will. 
praise you. My eyes were open, my chains were broken, and for this I will praise you. How great thou art, how great thou art, O Lord my God. How great thou art, how great thou art, O Lord my God. pieces broken and scattered in mercy gathered mended and whole empty handed but not forsaken I've been 
God spoke his love to us as never was heard, offered salvation in one final word, it was Jesus, Jesus, it was Jesus, Holy One. Stepped into time, word became man. He bled redeeming grace as Calvary's land. He is Jesus. Jesus, He is Jesus, Holy One. The Lamb was broken. His salvation to us spoken, come to ransom sinners chosen by your grace. Now seated with the Father, where you reign on earth forever, we exalt your name together in this place. And now before the throne, one speaks for me. My intercessor, his blood is my plea, he is Jesus, Jesus, he is Jesus, Holy One, the Lamb was broken, his salvation to us spoken, come to ransom sinners chosen by your grace. Seated with the Father, where you reign on earth forever, we exalt your name together in this place. Thank you for your love that was spoken through the Son, dying in my place. Thank you for the hope. You're raising him to life, conquering the grave. One day the trump will sound, calling your own. And coming through the clouds to carry us home will be Jesus. Jesus, he is Jesus, Holy One. The Lamb was broken, 
spirit is salvation to us spoken come to ransom sinners chosen by your grace now seated with the father where you reign on high forever we exalt your name together in this place jesus Jesus is Jesus, Holy One. Jesus, Jesus is Jesus, Holy One. You guys can be seated. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Kate. Really appreciate that this morning, don't we? So your Bible should be back in First Peter in the first chapter. She was born March the twenty fourth, eighteen twenty. That's a couple of years ago. In Brewster, New New York, she was blind from. Six weeks old. She wrote her first poem at the ripe old age of eight. She wrote some 8,000 poems. With 5,500 of those put in song. When asked to describe the hymn that gave her the most joy... She sang her answer, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Fanny Crosby, a life lived for the Lord. So that's where we're going to go today. We're going to look at a life lived for the Lord, what that looks like. What does that look like? When you think about the context of 1 Peter, you come to understand and appreciate that these believers were scattered, scared, suffering. Now, if you were to write a letter to them, knowing they were scattered, scared, and suffering, are you really going to tell them how to live the Christian life? Are you going to go there? Are you going to be what would to some appear to be harsh words? Because they are in some ways very difficult to hear for that audience. And I don't think it's any different today for us. That it's hard to hear. This is the way you need to live your life. <laughs> right? I mean, how many times have you walked up to a person and said, this is the way you need to live your life? According to what God says. I've broken down this outline to three points. Because it fits the text that way. The first point is live being holy. That's verses 14 
through 16. Verse 17 is live being in awe. And then verses 18 and 19, live being mindful. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Can we do that? Lord, I know I need your help this morning, and all of us need your help. Help to understand what it is you have for us as we open your word together and as we see what you gave to believers to encourage them and yet to exhort them and challenge them. So this morning I pray that would be true for us, that this passage would encourage us, but it would also challenge us as we think about living the Christian life ultimately for your glory. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Christmas Day is gone. Now people begin to prepare for what? New Year's Day. All week long you'll be thinking about those black-eyed peas, right? That you're going to eat. I love black-eyed peas. little sausage in there. This is a side note. But everybody's preparing for this next year. And with that comes, oh, I think in 2022 I'm going to do this different. And I'm going to do that different. And I have this goal and this goal and this goal and this goal. And by February, when Valentine's Day gets here, you're like, eh, forget all that. I think when it comes to the Christian life, however, it's good for us to have goals. It's good for us to be challenged in our own expectations of what we expect in our own lives. But it's also, I think, more importantly, good to know what the Lord expects. You can have your own expectations, and someone might even have expectations for you, but I think for all of us in this room who know the Lord, we need to receive our instruction about expectation from Him. What has He said that can help us? In this passage of Scripture that's in a section that pertains to sanctification, to how one lives the Christian life. Peter's very, very detailed in his instruction. You you can't miss the point, even if you tried. There's no way to skirt around what he's addressing. So if you're reading this, and you're one of those believers who the letter's read, and, and you're thinking, wow, I mean, all this wonderful hope and this great salvation, and Thank you for all that encouragement. And, and then as we have it, for us, we come to this section of Scripture where he t- begins to tell them, now this is how you need to live. When you come to sections about how the Lord expects us to live, on the one hand, for us, it can be a little bit um, not only challenging, but almost like, man, that's just a list of things to do. Versus the other side of it, which is still challenging, but it's all about the grace of the Lord. It's about how He wants to work things out in our lives. If we'll just submit to Him and do what He says. (laughs) Which is hard to do. So He begins with telling these believers, live being holy. Look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children, don't you just love the word obedience? It's a special word. 
The context in this this passage, the definition means one who listens and follows instructions. So that's what the Lord expects from those that belong to him, that they would listen and follow instructions, and that's what he's saying to these believers as obedient children. Now, there's, it's important to understand some things about children here. It's a position that points to accountability, number one. Just like in your home, children are accountable to you, right? As children of God, we're accountable to who? The Lord. Always accountable to Him. But what's so special also about this word is not only does it point to accountability, but it's a position that never changes. Once a child of God, guess what? Always a child of God. Even in the midst of our wretchedness. <laughs> Isn't that good to know? That even in the midst of our wretchedness, and we're going to find out that, that some of that was going on with these guys, even in the midst of our wretchedness, I'm still his child. I think sometimes, you know, how the enemy is, you know, he's, oh, you've done this a hundred times. Well, you're not, you're not God's child. Has that ever happened to you? Where you thought, man, Lord, how much is your, how, how far does your grace extend? It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. None of us deserve salvation. None of us do. But as we know, the Bible tells us salvation is by what? It's by grace. Grace of God. So, yes, it's a position that points to accountability, but it's also a position that never changes. Notice what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. If you read that in, in our translation... Um, and not understand the definition or meaning behind do not be conformed, you're going to think, well, they, they weren't going down that road. They're good. He's just reminding them. That's not what's happening. They were already going down the wrong road. <laughs> they were already going down that road. Now, you miss that in your translation, don't you? You wouldn't have any idea. But when you read the original, it's in present tense, meaning they were going down that road. They were reverting back to the old ways. Doesn't mean they didn't believe. They just weren't acting like they believed. Isn't it easy to get going down that road? Do you agree with that? Easy to go down that road. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, you can turn there because you're going to need to turn there and keep your finger there. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us of what can happen to believers. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual praises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. So he's reminding these guys. This is very, very critical in the context. He's reminding them as spiritual 
people, right? As those, those who know the Lord, he's saying, look, spiritual people um, have the mind of Christ. So everyone who's in Christ has the mind of Christ. doesn't mean that we're always living like we uh, are believers, but we do have the mind of Christ. We are different. So he talks about the natural man who doesn't know the Lord. He talks about the spiritual man. And then verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, he says, And I, brothers, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. Well, hold on a second. Notice back in verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. Who's we? Paul and them. So we have the mind of Christ. When you come to Christ, you have the mind of Christ. But he says to them then in verse 1, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to what? Infants in Christ. They're believers. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? What's the answer to that? Well, yeah, that's what they were doing. And he tells us even what was going on. Some say, I'm of Paul, some of Apollos, some of Peter. There's division. Sin happens in the body. Sin happens in our lives as individuals. And so as Peter is writing this letter, he's saying to them, in essence, don't keep going down that road. Don't go back. Don't be conformed to the things that were yours. Notice what he says in First Peter, which were yours in your ignorance when you didn't know the Lord. So it's very important that we understand what Peter's doing here. He's saying, in essence, stop going down that road. You're already going down it. But live being holy, which he tells us in verses 15 and 16. He says, do not be conformed to the former lust or cravings, is the word there, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you. He called you. He reminds them that they've been called. And with a calling comes purpose, but also with a calling comes responsibility. He says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Behavior. That word holy means to be separate. Be separate yourselves in all your behavior. That's what he's telling these believers. Be separate. You be separate from the world in your actions. You be separate from the world in your attitudes. Even in the midst of suffering. You do that. So it means to be separate. That word conformed talks about a standard or a pattern. And it it refers to the world. So the world's standard and the world's pattern is this. The God, listen to me, this is very important. The God of a majority of people in the world is themselves. Versus our God who is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he's saying to them, don't go back to that pattern. But, like the Holy One who called you, you be holy yourselves. And notice the little preposition or phrase in what all your behavior. That's what he's telling them. You be holy, you be separate in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's the expectation that the Lord had for these believers. Is the same expectation today for believers? Answer? Yeah, it is. So that means in practice that we have to be very careful when we're walking the Christian life. We have to be very careful with the things that we see, the things that we say. You know that little song you sang maybe when you were a kid, be careful little hands what you touch, be careful little ears what you hear, that whole thing. It's just just be careful. It's it's, It's I'm walking down this road and it's filled with different temptations. Be careful. Don't step in the potholes. Don't revert back. That's what he's telling them. Don't do it. Why does the Lord tell us at times things not to do? Because he loves us. A lot of people make it about rules. It's not. He loves us. Cares about us. That's why, and this is just a side note. That's why he says, young people, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. People say, well, I'm going to marry who I want to marry. Okay. Marry who you want to marry. But at the end of the day, don't be unequally yoked. Right? Does that matter? I'm going to tell you right now, it matters. I've sat with a lot of people in 30 years whose spouse was not saved. Oh, listen to me, young people. Listen to me, listen to me. It matters. Make sure the foundation is there in the family. Can I just go on with that? Not just the person that you're going to marry, but the family matters too, I think. I think a lot of times the mind says, I'll convert the family. No, you're not going to convert anybody. So, Outside of, outside of the decision to trust Christ, it is the decision in your life. I mean, it's huge. It will change everything, I promise. After 36 years of marriage, I know that. I could not have chosen a better person. I know that. The foundation was good, and her mom's foundation, good. That's important. Well, that's just a side note. So he says, live being holy. Then he says, secondly, live being in awe. Awe of what? Or awe of who? Awe of the Father. Notice what he says to them. He says, if you address the Father, verse 17, if you address as the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. (laughs) I think that's a funny, it's not a funny verse, but it it is in a sense. I'm going to tell you why. Because no one in this room knows how long they got on earth. No one. And you hear people say all the time, you know, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to start living for the Lord like next year. You know, I'm going to get it. Well, who knows if you got till next year? Right? So it's like, let's live for the Lord now. So 
verse 17, he's focusing in on the Father. He says, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges, which they were already doing that. That's the, that's the verb there. They're already addressing him. They're already calling upon him. So it's not like if and maybe they are, but they are. He says, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves how? In fear. That word there has the idea of reverence. That's what the word means. It's a reverential fear of the Lord. I would say our culture has no fear of the Lord. They don't seem to be fearful of the Lord, at least by my measurement. They act like they want to act. And it's almost like without consequence. They do the things they want to do. They please themselves. This is, this is the world. It's all about self. It's all about the glorification of man. And, we, and I'm so tired of hearing the phrase, we got this. You got what? What you got? You got the corner on something? I don't know about it. No, you don't have this. At the end of the day, the Lord is the one that every single person will stand in front of. Every single person in this room, every single person that's ever lived will stand before the Lord. Imagine that. You ever thought about that line? How's that going to work? I don't know. I don't know all the details of that. But it's going to be something. And so he tells these believers, as part of the motivation to live godly, to live holy, he says, live being in awe, being in reverence of the one who judges. And notice that little word there, impartially. Without respect of persons. So it's not like, well, you know, we got the thad now. He, well, I'm, I'm going to leave him alone. He's such a good guy. No, 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 no. And here's, here's something important for you to understand, young people and adults. That there are two judgments. One is the Bema Seat judgment. And what is the great white throne judgment as it relates to the future? There's several judgments, but these are two that we want to talk about. The great white throne judgment is for those who do not belong to the Lord. So you can never say, I kind of understand what Paul was saying when he says, you know, I'm free from the blood of all men. Because I'm telling you right now, so you can't walk out going, well, I didn't know this. So if you're a person who goes, well, I just reject Christ. I'm in that camp. Then you have to know that I told you, and I'm sure others have too, that one day you're going to stand before the Lord condemned to an eternity away from Him. That sounds cruel to a lot of people. But when you think about it, you and I who are in Christ, we, we understand this whole grace thing. And I am no better than the person that's sitting next to me. I don't deserve heaven. I've been given heaven. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how I have it. So a person says, well, he's just better. He's a preacher. He's, she's a missionary. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. If you're in Christ, you're going to be at the Bema seat. 
But if you're away from Christ and you've rejected him, you're going to be at the great white throne judgment. That's the truth. And I'm sorry, but I'm telling you what's true. And just so that you know it's not just my words, I want you to listen to me. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things according, that, excuse me, which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them. So that, that's all man who's rejected Christ. And it says, they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a real place. So I'm warning you who rejected Christ. I'm just, I love you. I, I, would, I would love nothing better. Maybe you've rejected Christ for 30 years or 50 years or 20 years. I would love nothing more today than for you to come to me and say, I want to know Christ. I understand I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of a Savior. And I understand, you know what? He died for me. Imagine that. He spread out His arms for me. So He says, Revelation, that the dead will be judged who reject Christ. Now, those of us who know Christ, we will be judged. In fact, he tells us here in Peter, each one according to each one's work. So that what we do for the Lord matters. And that will be judged. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, since your hand is already there, because I told you to please leave it there. And I know that you guys listen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, tells us about the Bema Seat judgment. Now, before I read that, I want to um, read something in 2 Corinthians. You just keep your finger there. The Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, we also have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear. I love, I love the way that Paul writes. So he's, he's confirming, in essence, that he's writing to believers because he's saying, we all must appear, me and you, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema Seat so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This judgment of the Lord upon his church is not a judgment to condemnation. 
but it's judgment. And Peter tells all these believers, you're all going to be judged. No matter, hey, you may be the greatest here on earth, but in front of the Lord Jesus, you're going to be judged just like the least. You're going to be judged. Now, look at this judgment. Chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. So what's the assumption? That building is going on. You're building on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? Each man must be careful how he builds. I love the way that's said. So, like, we want to pay attention a lot to our neighbors at times. Let's just pay attention to ourselves. We have to understand that how we build upon the foundation of Christ matters. So this is, this is in essence, something that's really important to say. Do not be a spectator Christian. Labor. That's what the Lord expects. He expects us to serve Him. So he says, verse 11, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. If any man builds on the foundation. Okay, so it's important that we build on the foundation, he says. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. In other words, it'll be revealed. For the day, what day? (laughs) The day that we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. (laughs) This is one of those times that none of us are going to get out of that are in Christ. Now listen, the great part, and you need to know this too, that it's not a judgment to condemnation. Paul writes, there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ. Hallelujah. And that's in a section where he says just before that in chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. That ought to give us a lot of comfort. Because when I look in the mirror at times, I'm like, man, wretched, wretched. Thank you for grace, Lord. I long to understand all that, but I'm thankful for it. Thank you for your grace. But I am accountable to the one who has extended grace to me, and my work before the Lord will become evident. He says, For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will do what? It will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. And by the way, The reception of rewards is wonderful to think about. But returning those rewards to the one who helped us in the midst of laboring for him is going to be the joy. Because it all belongs to him. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now notice that next little phrase. Loss of what? Loss of reward. Not loss of salvation. Loss of reward. But he himself will be what? Saved. 
yet so as through fire. So while you will and I will stand before the Lord and be judged for my work done for him, if some of that, which it will, burns up, I'm still saved, right? That's important to know. Um, some view that passage differently, and I feel sorry for him. To me, it's pretty elementary. I mean, he's saying, look, you're going to be judged. You're going to be tested as through fire. The works that were done for the Lord, some of what you've done remain, some of it won't. But even though the, the works that won't, you're saved, but as through fire. So Peter is telling these believers who are suffered and scattered and scared about what was going on in their lives through all the suffering, he says, live being in awe. Live being in awe. For two reasons. Knowing, number one, the Father judges. And knowing, number two, that you have only a certain amount of days. Now, we would, in one sense, maybe like to know the amount of days. But aren't we glad we don't? See, we don't go, well, you know, the average person lives to be 72 to 74. So, Lord, this is how that's going to work. I'm going to live for you when I get to be 60. I know you, but I kind of want to live for myself. I want to try out things. I want to do things for me. That's not the way it works. Peter, when he is addressing these folks, he's telling them, number one, the Father is going to judge you. And number two, you need to conduct yourselves in fear because um, He's going to judge you and you don't know the amount of days that you have. But you have days. So that's what He tells them. Live being in awe. Live being holy. And then thirdly, He tells them in verses 18 and 19, live being, being mindful. Being mindful of what? Well, I think this is the foundational piece to this whole argument that he makes for being holy and for conducting yourself in fear, knowing the Father is going to judge. He says in verse uh, 18, here's the foundation, knowing this is the reason you conduct yourselves in fear, this is the reason you're to be holy, knowing that you were not redeemed or bought with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with what? Precious blood. Live being mindful that you've been redeemed with precious blood. That's what he's telling them. Christ paid the redemption price. He bought you off the slave market of sin and has purchased you for him. Now, this is crazy. He's purchased you for himself. You were not purchased, he tells these believers, with things that don't last. You were not purchased with short lived things, you were not purchased with things that decay. But you were purchased with the precious blood. Notice what he says, verse 19. As of a lamb unblemished. That means without spot. 
and spotless, meaning without defect. You were purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb. No wonder Fanny liked that song, right? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of His Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His what? Child and forever I am. Have you ever thought about the amount of blood that the Lord spilled? We had um, communion in college and career a few weeks ago. Kevin Landers led that and Brian helped him. Uh, Brian Nichols did. And um, Kevin brought a goblet. And he had filled this goblet up pretty full. Probably was about right there. And I'll never forget, I believe it was Brian that said, the impression that was made on him that night, and I think on every college student that was in the room, we take these little cups. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what we do. It's fine. We take these little cups that are filled with about that much juice, and we drink to remember the blood that our Lord spilled for us. But when you fill this up, you go, wow. <laughs> you know, that's a little more. As we drink the juice, that represents a little bit more blood. But then as you think about the blood of the Lord being spilled out, paying the price for our sins, um, a lot of times we think about it in terms of the nails that went through his hands, the spikes that went through his hands and his feet. And, and, and we think about the crown of thorns, right, that, that, that were in his head. And, and we think about the sword in his side. When's the last time you thought about the flogging that took place? Do you know when, it tells us in Corinthians when Paul was describing the suffering that he went through, he says, three times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. The, the Jews did scourge. But when they did, the requirement was they could not go over 40. They stopped at 39. Many times the scourging for them were the two shoulders and the front part, the front torso of the person. So you had the shoulders being whipped and the front part. But they would, have, they would stop at 39 so as not to go over 40. <laughs> but the Romans, did they have that law? No. They could beat their victims as much as they wanted to. And when they had, when they, when they had their whip, it had metal balls, it had metal pieces, it had teeth of animals that were on the whip, and they would take that whip, and they would drive it into the flesh, and they would rip that flesh to where even the insides of people were exposed. So people try to draw, and I appreciate paintings, but this is what our Lord would have looked like. We don't know. But he was whipped by soldiers, the very ones that mocked him. And then for the Lord to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But they beat him 
and blood flowed. Many times, victims never made it to the cross. But we know our Lord did, don't we? He made it to the cross because we know the seven sayings of the cross. And we know that he said to his Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. (laughs) Right? There was blood before the flogging. Do you know that? There was blood before the flogging. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us that he sweated drops of blood. In medical terminology, it's known as hematidrosis. It's a rare condition in which through extreme anguish, people literally sweat blood. So when I was reading about that, I was like, wow, Lord, like your suffering began in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even before that, you knew you were going to the cross. But you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, not my will, but your will be done. I want this cup to pass. This cup of suffering. So I began to think about as we were having the Lord's Supper, like there was a lot of blood that was spilled for me. And a lot of blood that was spilled for you. And he spilled his blood because he loves us. It's an amazing thought. So as Peter's writing to these believers, he says to them to encourage them and to challenge them in their walk, live being holy, live being in awe, and live being mindful that you are redeemed with precious blood. This morning we are going to um, have the Lord's Supper together. Um, I'd like to just give you a couple of minutes just to have time with the Lord. And as I'm doing that, before you have that, um, here at Grace, um, if you're not a member of this body, but you're a member of the body of Christ, you're free to partake with us, to celebrate with us what our Lord did for us. So, You do not have to be a member of grace to do that. But it is important that all of us, whether a member of grace or not, that we examine ourselves as the scripture tells us to do. Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we're to examine ourselves and then take of the bread and the juice. And so I would just encourage you to just take two or three minutes and have that and you pray and I'll pray here and And then after I pray, I'm going to have the elders and deacons come down who were asked to serve for this morning. So let's just bow and have a couple of minutes quiet together.
Lord, I, uh, I just thank you to know that um, you were willing to, to pay the price for me. Lord, I know that um, there's even discussion about whether that was truly blood that was sweat or blood that was in the Garden of Gethsemane or not. I, I don't know. I, I just know as I study that certainly it's a good possibility that was going on because of the agony, the anguish that not only you would have to endure, Lord, from the cross, but to be separated from your Father, which had never happened. That kind of anguish, that kind of grief, Lord, I'm not familiar with. I'm thankful, Lord, that you took my place. I deserve the cross, and yet you took it. Lord, help us never to grow weary of hearing that. Because without your shed blood for us, Dying for us, there is no hope. So we want to say thank you. Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that not only did you pay for our sins on the cross, and not only were you buried, but you rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You were witnessed by over 500 witnesses. And then you ascended to the Father, and you're at his right hand and waiting to come receive your church. So, Lord, for us today really is a celebration because you didn't remain in the grave. And uh, we're thankful for what you were willing to do for us. And, Lord, as we partake this morning, as we take the bread and the juice, we pray that you would help us to be ever thankful for what you've done for us. And may our worship be acceptable to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the elders and deacons if they'd come forward. Guys, we first of all take the bread and we do so uh, to remember the body of our Lord. As we think about, you know, it's not just the cross. There's a lot going on before the cross. So we're mindful of that this morning and, and thankful for what our Lord was willing to endure. And I'm going to ask Ed DeArmond if he would to pray for the bread this morning. Ed, can you do that? Lord, we thank you today for your willingness to come to earth and die for us. This bread represents your body, and we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
So as we take the bread this morning, we remember the body of our Lord. Steve, would you pray for the cup for us? Father, you're the Lord. You know everything. From time immemorial, you planned that your son would become flesh. And that was necessary for your plan of redemption. His body would be broken for us and his blood would be shed in one of the most horrible ways imagined. And you did, it, you did that because you loved us. Help us as we partake that we would be reminded of how great our salvation is and the extreme cost of it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So as we take this cup today, uh, it does represent for us the blood that our Lord shed on our behalf because of his great love for us. Let's take it together. Um, so when the disciples shared um, supper with the Lord, Passover supper, it says that um, they sang a hymn and then went to the Mount of Olives. And so I thought we could sing. That'd be all right. And I, even if it's not with you, I, I guess I could sing it by myself. Wouldn't want to. But um, I want to do two things. I want to sing this song, the first and last verse of Amazing Grace. And then um, have a little bit, a short um, time we want to have praying for Sarah and Emily. Their time as missionaries. They're our missionaries. So we want to celebrate them and pray for them today. So let's sing, let's stand and sing. First and last verse of Amazing Grace. I'll do like Dr. Talley told us in pastoral theology. He said, men, if you're ever asked to sing, you just wave your arm like that. So I'm not going to wave my arm. That was back in the day. i got to tell you this quick story. So I went and preached. Some of you may have been familiar with the church. I don't even know if it still exists. But um, I preached at Sun Valley Church of the Brethren out here in Center Point somewhere, I think it was. And I get to the church, and um, Reverend Blunt, oh, no, Reverend, Reverend Blunt, we're glad to have you here today. I think the average age of the congregation was 75. But we get, I get there, and, and, and he said, we're, we're glad you're here, and, and we've got the service all planned out for you. And I said, that's great. And he said, uh, have you decided on the hymns you're going to lead today? And I'm like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> no one told me about this. So I did like that. <laughs> But um, let's sing the first and last stanzas of Amazing Grace. You ready? Amazing Grace. sure of the song menu in heaven but that might be one of them along with redeemed <laughs> um, you can sit back down um, 
I just think we sing better when we stand. Um, this morning we have uh, Emily and uh, Sarah with us. And they're missionaries with YWAM. And Emily is actually in the office down there. She tells Sarah what to do. Do you tell her? Yes. Uh, that is awesome. <laughs> like, can I be on a phone call? I'd love to just hear that. Um, but we're, we're so thankful for their ministry. And, um, you know, they're young. At least they're young from these eyes. And it's, it's nice to have young people that are committed to Christ and laboring here and around the world. Uh, we know there are many that do. But uh, we're, we're certainly thankful for you guys. And I think Sarah's going to come and just share just a little bit about what's going on. And, and then um, you and Emily can come up here and afterwards and, and we'd like to pray for you. I think it's very important that elders and deacons of the church pray for our people. So we're going to do that, all right? Lunch will just be a little later. Here you go. I always had to check. That's so loud. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I'm Sarah Nichols. For those that don't know me, I'm David and Melinda's daughter, and that's Emily Radley. Um, the church has been supporting both of us as missionaries for about six years, I think. Um, but we're both on staff with Youth with the Mission Orlando. Um, YWAM is the acronym for it. It's one of the biggest missionary organizations in the world. There's like 1,800 campuses all over um, the entire world. It's huge, and we work for the Orlando campus. And so we do different things there. Our jobs rotate like every three months, really. Um, but I've been working with one of our training schools um, called a discipleship training school. It's a missionary training school for young people. I know Thad was talking about how it's great that we have young people that are serving missions. And I know sometimes it can be hard to see that when you are in like one state for a long time or stuff like that. You don't get to see things as much, but we have literally young people from all over the world. Like, I don't even know how many each year come that want to like serve Jesus. So if you ever want to like be encouraged about what's going on in the world, like check out YWAM, check out like different organizations that focus on youth because there are so many people on fire for Jesus that are young. Like majority of people that come are probably 18 to 22 year olds that do our training schools and they are it's crazy. Like they want to serve Jesus and they nothing stops them. Like they are on fire for Jesus. Like we we've had 66 students this past fall come for our discipleship training school and I've had the honor of walking with them talking with them discipling them one-on-one the girls um and now I'm leading a team to Mexico um for six weeks with them starting in January and they are ready like they're messaging us in our group message every day like guys we can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do in Mexico we have another team going to Tanzania another team going to South Africa and one really cool thing is even during COVID um we really felt our lead from the Lord that we weren't supposed to shut down our schools, um, that we were supposed to keep having teams go overseas to share the gospel. And God totally opened up the country of Tanzania. Um, If any of you follow Joy, uh, my niece, Rachel's daughter, she did our discipleship training school and she just graduated in August, sorry, in November. And she got to go to Tanzania and she saw so many people give their lives to the Lord. She saw lame people walk. Like it's amazing what God's doing overseas in the nations. And so we get the honor of walking with our students. Emily actually led a team to Tanzania. Um, when was it? And 
yeah, June through September, Emily was in Tanzania leading one of our teams too. And she saw like so many people give their lives to the Lord and stuff. And so the Lord's just really moving in the nations through a lot of young people. And it's awesome. Um, so yeah, I'm about to lead a team to Mexico and Emily works, um, in our, our event coordinator for YWAM Orlando, which is actually a huge job because we do a lot of stuff at YWAM, uh, with our students to help them feel at home. We have a lot of international students from Europe, South America, um, and parts of Africa that come. And to make them feel at home, we do events for them like Christmas parties and Thanksgiving parties. Mom and dad got to come down this year and see our Thanksgiving and Christmas celebrations. And it's a lot of fun. So Emily is in charge of all of those things. And I'll be leading a team to Mexico. And then when I get back, um, hopefully getting to work with our Bible schools and teaching in the Bible schools that we have there. So yeah, it's awesome. It's a great ministry. Sarah, we appreciate you and Emily. And Emily, I'll have you come up here and make the deacons and elders, if y'all can just make your way up. I really, really appreciate it. And um, uh, that you can do that now. <laughs> and um, the deacons and elders. And um, we want to pray for these guys, especially as Sarah goes off. I was going to say, um, not only was joy in that this past fall, but... Um, uh, one of uh, our own, I consider her still my kid, Kelly Lett, uh, was at YMM and ooh. Uh, Kelly is thriving. She loves it. She's doing so well. She's going to South Africa with her team. And we ha- I've had multiple leaders come up and talk to me about Kelly and been like, we love her. Like, she loves the Lord and she has such a drive to, like, see Jesus in the nation. So She's great. She's, she's a red-haired, just, she's got some fire to her like her granddaddy. Where's her granddaddy? <laughs> she catches football pretty good, too. Sorry to hear that. I'm going to have one of our elders, uh, Eddie Bradley, pray for us uh, today and uh, just pray for Sarah and Emily and Joy and for Kelly and, and all of them as they uh, or go around the world and, and share the gospel. Would you do that, Eddie? And when Eddie is... If finished, then you'll be dismissed, all right? Father, we're so grateful for the salvation we enjoy through the work of Christ and the faith we have to trust in the work that he's done for us. We're also so grateful, Father, to be able to participate in the work you have here through the spreading of the gospel, supporting those who go and encouraging those around us. I pray that you, first of all, will continue to uh, impress upon us the need, the commandment to spread the gospel in our own lives, to be ready and willing to tell others of the salvation in Christ. We thank you too, Father, for those that are willing to uh, spend 100% of their lives in a commitment to missions. Uh, abroad and in the in this area and father i thank you for ywam the organization and the encouragement and the teaching that it it gives to those who want to serve jesus mm-hmm. we thank you that uh, sarah and emily are here with us and others who uh, have been part of or participated with ywam and lord we just ask your blessing we pray that as the fields are ripe for harvest that their work will produce uh, new believers, new children for you who are trusting in the work of Christ alone for their salvation. I pray, Father, that you meet the needs of those who are going out like these. 
We pray that you will supply their physical needs, their financial needs, their emotional needs, the fellowship needs they have, and especially their need to have that relationship with you in a very close way so that they're more easily able to follow the steps that you have laid out before them. We pray, Father, that uh, um, we look forward and, and give praise to you for the kingdom that's coming, for all the lives that will be saved and redeemed by you through the blood of Christ. We praise you, we lift you up, and we look forward to what you will continue to do in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.